this morning, I am prompted to draw our attention to a specific place in Scripture. And if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Now, if you need a Bible this morning, simply slip up your hand. Uh, we have many extras and would love to place one in your hands. There's one here in front. Uh, and if you need a Bible at home, uh, we'd love you to have that as a gift from the Lord. A couple more up front here, some hands up. And so that way you can follow along with your eyes as well as your ears. I'm going to draw our attention to uh, verse 50 in chapter 23 of Luke's Gospel. And the reason I'm starting here is because we're going somewhere with this, of course, and would love you to be able to follow along and read. So there we are. Luke 23, verse 50. Can I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word? In Luke's record, at verse 50, we read, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Will you pray with me, please? Once again, gracious and almighty God, we thank you that we stand here today recipients of your great grace, holding in our hands, Lord, a living word, which is your love letter to us. And Lord, as we read, as we listen, as we ask you to speak to us through your word, we will trust you because you've promised to do just that, that it will not return to you void, but it will accomplish the thing for which it is sent. So have your way, we pray, and we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I've entitled this morning's message, Lifelong insights from the empty tomb. You see, insights can alter the way we live our lives. Think of the insight of a, a young child who is taught and comes to grips with the fact of a, of a world that spins around the sun in a great mass, pressure and whatnot causing uh, gravity. And how the fact of gravity 
becomes an insight to that child the minute that child falls off of the monkey bars on a schoolyard. That insight immediately alters that young child's life and makes them more careful about what they will do when gravity can take effect. You move a life forward and get to those adolescent or teen years when boys come to the insight that girls are attractive and girls come to the insight that boys are attractive as well and that those attractions can sometimes lead to uh, long-lasting relationships within the covenant of marriage that bring other children into the world. It often makes those young adolescent boys and girls careful about the relationships they enter. But also, there is that final time when we as adults say goodbye to loved ones that pass. And we recognize the importance of relationships and cultivating good relationships. We are reminded to do so and that endeavoring to create lasting good memories with those that we love that insight, that lifelong insight, can alter the way we live our lives. That being said, there is a lifelong insight, several of them, four to be exact, that I'd like to share with you this morning, that emerge from the empty tomb. And if we are willing and our ears are open and our heart is soft before the Lord, it is possible that even on this morning, one of these insights may in fact alter the way you're living your life today. Those of you who are watching at home, God bless you. May you celebrate this day. We pray that in the same way that you watch this, whether you're watching it live or click on later at some point, that the same message will have the same effect as it does on this, us in this house at this moment. Our reading left us at the close of chapter 23. So I'd like to draw your attention now to the opening of chapter 24, and let's take a look at these insights that are there. Verse 1, we read, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Someone once observed, last ones at the cross, first ones at the tomb. Now, what we know historically is that by the time Joseph of Arimathea had taken the body of Jesus down, there wasn't enough time for him to properly embalm the body before the Sabbath would begin. And so it was a very uh, quick placing him in the tomb. The women that were coming were coming to finish the job. And they are on the right track. Why? 
Because they're seeking Jesus early. We notice that all of the gospel writers tell us the same thing, that these women came very early in the morning. There is a verse in Proverbs 8.17, God says by the Holy Spirit, Proverbs 8.17, they that seek me early shall find me. And truly, those who seek the Lord early, early in life, early in circumstance, early every day, will uniquely find him. Are you seeking him early? These women were no exception, and I remember a story I once heard of a, of a grandfather who had lost his old precious ticking watch at a family gathering. Very wisely, this granddad called his grandkids to his side and he said, hey kids, uh, grandpa has lost his watch. And immediately, all except one of the children started scrambling through the parkside, looking under bushes and under tables and chairs, trying to find this watch to no avail, except one who just sat. The next morning, grandpa emerged again and Asked the kids that they found this. No, we weren't able to find it. And this one young who sat presented the watch to him. And he said, grandson, how on earth did you find that watch? He said, it was simple, grandpa. I just waited till it was all quiet and listened for the ticking. <laughs> Sometimes the noise of the day the noise of the hour, the noise of the situation, the noise of the conflict can cloud our ability to hear his voice. And so he calls out to you and I this morning again, they that seek me early will find me. But let's move on. We also notice in these verses that these women are engaged in a great mystery of love. Love, it's been said, is stronger than death. Their love of Jesus has not ceased. Their faith in him did not fail. But what is true at this moment in the text is that their love is filled with sorrow and hopelessness. You might ask why. Well, they've come to finish embalming the body. To them, Jesus is dead. And so for them, what we recognize is that the things that they hoped for were not yet realized. Yes, Perhaps they understood or knew that Jesus was this promised Messiah. Perhaps they had had their eyes opened to new truths about the one true God. But he had been brutally beaten. 
criminally hung on a cross, nailed to it, mastered, if you want to use that word, by Rome, and put to death. I submit to you this morning the first of our insights that for them at this moment these women had misplaced their hope. They had a misplaced hope because their hope was in the person of Mary's son. Their hope was in the man Jesus. All the while, they had forgotten to remember that this is, was and is the incarnate Son of God. They had come to honor a dead man. Their deepest hopes will be realized later on in the text and just shortly in their visit to the tomb when they come to understand that Christ has risen, that he is not a common man. He was not just Mary's son. He wasn't just another uh, male named Yeshua. Which leads me to ask you two important questions this morning. They were followers of Christ that had misplaced their hope. Are you a follower of Christ this morning that has a misplaced hope? Second question, if so, where is your hope today? Have you placed your hope in, oh, the change of a circumstance? Have you placed your hope in in a future career? Have you placed your hope in uh, a different political system or government? Have you placed your hope in a friendship? Have you placed your hope in in career, job, something that you thought was actually going to bring to your life now this thing that I'm missing and I'm lacking? That's my question to you. And time and time again, having misplaced that hope, you, you fight feelings of hopelessness. And in those feelings of hopelessness, you recognize that expectations you had for this thing to come to fruition or that thing to come to fruition, you recognize that those expectations have not been met. Can I share some verses with you? Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing realized is a tree of life. God, who made you and I, understands that when our hopes are deferred, when our expectations are dashed, when we have misplaced that hope into something that can't bring to us a sense of fulfillment and understanding of who we are and why we've been placed here on earth, the heart becomes sick. But when the desire comes, do you know what the Bible calls Jesus? It was the desire. When the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Proverbs 40, uh, Psalm 42.5 Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. 
In other words, get your eyes out of the rear view mirror. Looking in the back of all the mistakes that have happened. Get your eyes off of the side view mirrors. Wondering what's going on on the left and the right of you. And get your eyes on the only one who has said that he will fulfill every hope that your heart has. His name is Jesus. As the psalmist writes, Psalm 121, 1 and 2, he says, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Do you need help today in replacing that hope? You see, an insight like that can alter how one lives their life. Let's move on. Verse 2 and 3, we see that, but when they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, then they went in and did not find the body of Jesus. If you've studied uh, New Testament for any length of time, maybe that's fairly new to you, maybe you're midstream in it, but you, we will all note that the phrase, uh, the stone rolled away, is a significant phrase. It tells us several things. Uh, over in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, we are told that Pilate set a Roman guard over the tomb because of the Jews that uh, had said he would, would return. And in placing a Roman guard over this tomb, a couple of things happened. Number one, uh, four Roman soldiers were placed there on guard. Two to watch, two to sleep. Two to watch, two to sleep. A second thing that would have happened, they would have taken, oh, a material similar to a rope, and they would have taken hot wax, and they would have placed wax at one end of the stone that covered the tomb, placed the rope across it, and wax at the other end of the stone that covered the tomb, signifying that this tomb was being guarded by the very authority of Rome. And that anyone that would break this seal was in clear defiance of the Roman Empire. And so we have uh, obstacles, if you will, these were tangible, real obstacles that covered this tomb. That when the women got there, they found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty. Those stones were hewn and placed in an inclined trough, if you will. Uh, no one could ever open them from the inside. If the disciples had wanted to, it would have taken several of them working together to roll the stone away from the covering. And yet in one of the Gospels, the Greek text signifies to us that the stone was actually picked up and thrown.
And so these obstacles, material systems and human, I ask you a question today. Are there obstacles in your life to accepting the fact that Christ is risen and has invited you to walk in resurrection life? Is there an obstacle in your heart this morning those of you who are here, anyone here, anyone watching online, an obstacle in your heart that has kept you from really fully embracing the fact that Christ died and rose again on your behalf. And that he did that to bring you to God the Father. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Anyone within the sound of my voice, is there an obstacle in your heart from fully committing in faith to this truth? Perhaps that obstacle is a systematic obstacle. It's the system of beliefs where you may have thought, well, all roads lead to God. Is Christianity so narrow that the Buddhist doesn't end up in heaven? The Muslim doesn't end up in heaven? The transcendental meditationist doesn't end up in heaven? The Hebrew? Is it really that narrow? It can't be. Besides, I... I just kind of want to live my life the way I, I want to live my life. And, and this system of a narrow way to heaven is an obstacle for you. Perhaps it's a physical obstacle. In other words, someone in your life has harmed you. Someone in your life has given you the wrong impression of what Christianity is. And you've attached to that person and that hurt a wrong understanding of what it means to let resurrection power live and Christ to live his life out through you. Perhaps it's also a human obstacle where in your own heart you're just unwilling. You're unwilling to surrender in faith to the idea that God has something better than the life you're now engaged in. How can you overcome those obstacles? Is it possible? These women came to the tune with many of those obstacles in their own heart and they found the tomb empty, the stone rolled away. A couple of verses for us this morning. 
As far as a system that would stop someone from understanding the truth of the power of God, Isaiah 54, 17 says to us that no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. If you have committed your life to Christ, there is no weapon that will succeed against you And the things that you may find hard this moment, this day, challenging and difficult, remember God is using those things to carve out his character in your very nature. Maybe it's a material obstacle. Philippians 4.19 God promises through the Apostle Paul, he says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. How? By Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness, are we not all, so many of us, not everyone in this room, only it applies if it does to you. I'm not saying this is you, but I'll just invite myself into this bucket, are we not always worried about ourselves and things? Will I have enough? Will I be okay? Is my bank account, you know, reconciled? Is there a nest egg building? Is the PG&E bill still paid? Is the water on? You commit your life to Christ. You give your heart to the resurrected Savior and he says to you, I will supply all of your needs because of the riches that I have in heaven and I'll do it through Christ. You know what happens in that life, that heart? The things I think I need begin to alter. (laughs) The things that were so important to me begin to change. And what I thought I needed were really things that I could do without. And Christ replaces those holes with his relationship in my heart. Perhaps one of the last obstacles in your life is the fear of man, the fear of of accomplishment. A couple of verses for us here. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paraphrase and translation. If I get out there in my own strength trying to accomplish many things and fail, perhaps I have not invited Christ into my life, perhaps I, have not ad, perhaps I have not asked the author of my soul and salvation to lead and guide me through this thing that is so dangerous, so threatening, so filled with anxiety. You know what? Failure is good. For the child of God, failure is great. Why? Because it causes me again to fall on my face and my knees and say, God, I can't do this. I need you. He says, boy, I was sure waiting for you to get to that place. Now let me in. And immediately the child of God might say, 
Yeah, but it's a big, scary world out there, Lord. To which he says to us in 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Say that with me. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory, would allow you that resurrection power and to allow you to conquer the fears that you hold on to. And you watching at home, maybe you're saying, boy, I sure am glad I'm in the living room because this guy's talking to me, and I hope I am. Because if you're here in this house and it's making sense, if you're here in this house and there's a touch of conviction here, there are some obstacles Remember how those obstacles were overcome. It was Christ who said he must go to the hands of evil men, be crucified, and rise again the third day. By the power of the Spirit of God and the promises of the Son of God, those obstacles were removed. And that the same thing is true in your life and mine. By the power of the Spirit of God and by the promises of the Son of God, any obstacle that you have to walking in faith can be removed. <clears throat> Lastly, verse 4, we read, And it happened that as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now, the women had come uh, intending to find a dead body. But what did they find? They found angels. Now, Luke calls them men. And so, let's assume them to be angels, the other Gospels refer to them as, let's assume, assume them as angels. Consider how interesting this is. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when I kind of stumbled upon this, I, this is intriguing. For some 30 years of his earthly ministry, 30-33, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was not appearing before the angels as he had for all time before. You remember that he was there in creation. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Colossians tells us that all things were created by him and for him and that nothing that was created was created without him. The angels beheld him as creator, as Lamb. And then, fast forward from the beginning of time to that moment when he came into the world, they could no longer behold him in the heavenlies. They had to watch him on earth. And angels were very interested in this. They were watching for certain. Because when he came to earth, he did not empty himself of deity. He only changed the manifestation of his form. He emptied himself of sovereignty and came 
in the form of a servant for you and I. Paul in his letter to the Philippians in the second chapter said, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now think with me for a moment. These angels had witnessed the Son of God for thousands of years, and then he's gone. I can imagine, bear with me for a moment as I paraphrase a little bit, but if you were an angel up in heaven, you're like, where'd he go? Where'd he go? I would just, I would just, created being I am, and my creator, he's gone. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, Charlie, come here. You know, I don't know what angel's name. Michael, Michael, come here. Look. He, he, he's, He's in the womb of that woman. We are told, as it relates to angels, looking and interested in Jesus, that they announced his coming, and then when he arrived, they sang as a choir. We are told that angels waited on him in the wilderness. And in Gethsemane. And we are reminded that now they have come, a couple of angels have come, and they have something to say, which intrigues me. Verse 5, the women, then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, to the two angels, no, the angels are speaking to the women, he says, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Our third insight this morning. Followers of Christ looking for life in dead places. Followers of Christ looking for life in dead places. The angels asked them why. There's a human answer. And that is because we are a curious species. The science uh, world loves to call mankind a species. Humankind. We are a curious humankind. You see, we're always looking. God created us in such a way that there's a natural curiosity in us to know the knowable, to find the findable. God created us in the image of God, created he them, male and female, created he them. In mirroring, it's been said, you've heard me say it, I'll say it again, God is an, uh, 
an infinite trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Man is this uh, uh, inferior trinity, flesh, soul, and spirit, body, soul, and spirit. It is in the realm of the spirit that we meet with God, but in God creating us in his image, we desire to, to find and look and maybe no one in this room or no one watching at home has ever, you know, experimented in, in worldly things to try and find life, to try and find fulfillment, to try and find happiness, to try and find success. I know I'm not necessarily talking to anybody here, but just in case that you threw the dice on multiple things only to discover that those things didn't bring life to me at all. In fact, they were destructive. I've shared my testimony many times. I mean, I, I sit here this morning before you humbled at the fact that God would allow me to break the bread of, of the Word of God with you. Who, who uh, I was in the gutter I had chosen to walk away from anything called faith for many years. Substance abuse times 10. Addictions multiple. I would just as soon rip you off as look at you for a fix. I don't belong here. One of my dearest friends, who I'll ask him, has been walking with Christ for a lot of years. I'll say, how are you today? And he'll say, better than I deserve. Are you better than you deserve today? You see, have you tried finding life in things that only were destructive? Maybe as a follower of Christ, you've even tried it. You, hey, it's good to have him hanging there on the shelf. You know, I know I've got this road to heaven, but I'm just going to go over here and search these things for a while. And you find that they just don't bring life. Solution to the problem of looking for life in dead places. John 14, 6 Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have what? Life. What? Life. Say it with me. Life. Not just a heart beating not just lungs breathing, not just able to walk around and do things. Life. Christ came that you and I might have life and it more abundantly. If you have begun looking or if you started looking or you are thinking about looking for life in dead things, cut it out. The word of God says... That for that one who has given his life to Christ, Christ will be his life. And the rest of the things will leave a sour and dirty and disgusting taste in the mouth. That insight can change the way a person lives. Finally this morning...
thought I lost a note. Verse 8. And they remembered his words. And then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Fourth insight this morning is one that deals with responding to the revelation of resurrected Christ. What we see here is that having had the truth revealed to them, that that Christ is risen from the dead, everything he promised has come to pass. He is, in fact, the Son of God raised to glory, that these same women who once came with a love filled with hopelessness and sorrow are leaving the tomb overjoyed. Oh my goodness, he's not the, he's risen. And what does that joy in the human heart cause them to do? They ran and returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven. The response to the revelation that Christ is resurrected and that Christ is in you and that the resurrection power of God lives in you is to go and tell others about it. Is there someone in your life past today? Someone that that maybe is on the fence about what it means to, to know God, to believe in Jesus Christ, or even understand their purpose of living? Declare to them the resurrected power of Christ in you. A couple of verses and we'll close. Psalm 911 says, Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Psalm 118, 17. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Yes, saints, beloved, this morning, these are the kind of insights that can alter the way we live. They can alter how we face tomorrow. They can alter how we go through life from today forward. First, is your hope misplaced? If it is, let's reset those sights on God. Second, is there an obstacle, human, material, or system? can be overcome by the will of God and the promises of the Son of God. Third, have you thought about looking for life in dead things? Stop. Christ is your life. And lastly, because he is, declare it to someone. That's what the resurrection can remind us of. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Luke's detail in setting the record straight of what took place at the tomb. 
and how that clear record brings such rejoicing to our heart. How his words and his record can remind us of the insights that can alter the way we live our lives. And maybe someone this morning as we're praying in their heart of hearts is saying, yes, Lord, that's me. My hope has been misplaced. I've been looking in the wrong places for life. I've got too many obstacles in my heart to, to really fully commit. And if that's you right now, the Lord is drawing himself to you. If that's you this morning and you have not yet given your life to Christ, he's inviting you right now to say yes to Jesus. And before these elements come across your lap, he would ask you to admit your sin, invite his forgiving grace, and to commit your life to him. As we're praying, your, our heads are bowed. Maybe there's a follower of Christ this morning here in this house or watching online that, that recognizes their hope got sidetracked. The obstacles to moving forward in God have been overwhelming. He's saying to you, allow me again to be that in your life that you need. Lord, we want to walk from this place ready to declare your works to the world around us. And we ask you in Jesus' name to have your way in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.